Hi, and welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. I'm Steve Bowes. I'm with Trish Steed. Of course, Trish, how are you? I'm fantastic, Steve. How are you doing today? I am great. I'm especially great because I'm excited for today's show and the topic, which I think we need to talk about. I feel like I need to talk about and learn more about. Trish, we are going to be talking about stress in the workplace, uh, and we'll be joined by a behavioral neuroscientist to help us understand this issue and, and talk about ways to combat the issue and what organizations can do to help their employees in, in times of stress, which I think is overdue the conversation. Certainly, I feel like, at least for me. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking, I love the fact that we're talking about this now, but where was this conversation, you know, 25 years ago when we joined the workforce? I, I feel like I really could have used it then. But uh, and so instead of just coping on our own, and, and sort of being in quiet suffering, we're going to really dive into what organizations and individuals can be doing to help alleviate some of those pressures and, uh, and address so that it doesn't become maybe a lifelong chronic sort of health condition too. Yeah. So I, I like exciting. the quiet suffering, Trish. That could be like the title of my memoir, I think, of my, my workplace experience. <laughs> All right, we'll get to that later. We'll get Let's to that. Let's welcome later. our guest uh, who can help us uh, navigate through some of these issues. Uh, of course, our guest today is Dr. Sophie Dix. She's the VP of Content at Coa Health. Sophie brings 25 years of experience in mental health to her role at Coa Health. She's passionate about evidence and ensuring that those affected by mental illness have access to the right treatments at the right time. Sophie, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Very happy to be here. Thank you for joining us and carving out a little of where you're at in the world of Friday afternoon. So we appreciate that uh, as we're banging on the door of the weekend as we record this. But uh, first of all, Sophie, uh, maybe if you want to share just I gave, I had a brief bio for you, but if you want to share a little bit more about your background and, and perhaps a, you know, a minute or so on what you do at COA. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a behavioural neuroscientist. I've spent the uh, the last 30 years of my life researching the brain and really trying to understand the processes involved in the brain that are affected by things like stress, mental illness, and thinking about, well, actually, that what can we do to, to improve people how they feel? I used to come from a pharmacological background, so I spent many years working in the pharmaceutical industry, but then became to realise that we can't think of mental illness, mental health challenges as something that's all in the mind, because our mind exists within a body and the body exists within an environment. And all of these factors come together to actually sort of think about, well, actually, what are these risks for developing stress and mental health problems? But also, what can we do then? You know, what can we do within the within the body, within the mind, within the environment in particular? We're here to talk about the workplace. But how can these be? How do these create risk for development of stress problems? And But what can we do to actually alleviate them as well? So I ended up at uh, Coa Health when I was recognizing that actually the only way that we can produce sort of scalable ways to support people, not everyone can have a sort of one-to-one -one therapist at the hand, that we what we really need to do is to be able to really begin to use technology to help people get the support that they need when they need it. So at CoHealth, we have a um, creating a digital platform where people can get the right help. So whether this is empowering people with digital technology, so self-care apps to support wellness and um, empowered to identify where they need help, 
but also within that, that there, there is the ability to access a therapist as and when needed so that people are trying to match what the help that they need, whether this is prevention, working on wellness, or whether this is when people are starting to feel and face a few challenges, but getting that kind of matching the right help at the right time. You know, I love that you you mentioned that because that was actually going to be one of my questions is, you know, one of the things about really any sort of medical situation we might face is it's not always easy to get assistance when we need it, right? And I would wonder, do you see that with mental health issues from employees, from, you know, just other other people you might come into contact with? Like, you almost feel like, well, I can't get help right now in the moment, so I'm just going to push through. How does that affect sort of the technology side of it, right? Where you're offering access, are you finding that people are are truly taking advantage of that more than because they have more immediate access? I think it's absolutely. And I think that the access creates two aspects. One, that it helps people identify with and understand when they might be struggling. I think you mentioned that it's all too easy just to power through. And, you know, 20 years ago that there was no real concept of mental health problems in the workplace of stress in the workplace. We just got on with it, that there, it wasn't recognised until people were struggling so much that they were unable to work or they'd be leaving, leaving their jobs. So I think by having um, something that's available 24-7, that it's around that, that people become more aware because they can learn around the symptoms of mental illness or not mental illness, but they can understand where they might be struggling. And also then access something, whether it's just a quick breathing exercise, whether it's something to just jot down some thoughts. But I think the mainly it's around that first stage is around gaining the awareness of where there needs to be help. And that really needs to be done on an organizational level as well, recognizing when people might be struggling. Uh, Sophie, I want to ask you about stress in particular, right? We kind of teased the show and the topic of the show around talking about stress, stress in the workplace, ways of dealing with stress. And the first thing I'd like to ask it's a little bit about just understanding stress as something perhaps different than, hey, I'm just busy today, or boy, I had a lot going on this week, or and then I had to go, and then my my dog got sick, and my daughter had a football game, and, and all of this, right? That, that kind of, sometimes I feel like we might normalize what's really stress and a real significant thing or potentially significant thing with just, oh, that's just life. I'm a busy person or I have a lot on my plate. I'd love for you to maybe help us understand when uh, situations really are stress and should be considered differently than just, hey, I'm busy today or this week. I think to answer that, it might be useful to think about, well, the origins of stress and the stress response. So I'm sure you've heard about the flight fight reaction is that, you know, animals evolved to be able to cope with stresses so that they could either run away from something or fight it back. And our whole body evolved to create it, tense it, get ready for that interaction. And that's a normal stress. But in the modern world, we're not really faced with a predator anymore. We're not having to kill something for our lunch. But now these psychological stresses, the environment around us are the things that will actually induce that stress response. And when it's an acute response, that's quite normal. And we all experience that. We experience it daily. We experience challenges in life. Where it becomes a problem is when it becomes prolonged. And it's often not even just one a single source of stress. It's these multiple stresses that can then build up. But the body doesn't really know the difference that the, you know, the HP axis, the stress response, this is being triggered. 
And so the body is still in that that kind of um, preparation mode for something physical. And this triggers a whole load of systems throughout the body, which when they're prolonged in activation, they cause a whole range of problems that these can cause um, huge, huge increase in risk. So about 50% risk factor in, for example, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and all of these can really profoundly affect our physical health. I mean, we know from our, you know, the, the immediate stresses that when you're faced with something that you're anxious about or nervous about, that you can feel that physical response. You feel those butterflies in your stomach. You can feel the hairs on the, your arms go. But this, mm-hmm. this, this sort of whole body system, this, this sort of impacts the what's called the inflammatory system. When this is activated for long periods of times, there's a whole range of risk factors that follow up in terms of increased risk for more serious mental illness and for more serious physical illness. So it's really important to actually take on stress, recognize the signs of it and do something about it. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about this, I was thinking about a conversation I had with someone who was not a neuroscientist many years ago, and we were talking about stress and sort of when you you mentioned the body's response to it, it triggered this memory for me, but it was also around that there can be very positive things in life. Um, and you use the word prolonged, which I love. Um, and maybe you're getting married, right? Planning for something. Have you, from a, in a very formal way, um, seen any evidence that even sort of positive stressors that are prolonged, do those have the same type stress reactions? That was this person's sort of theory that stress is stress, whether it's sort of positive or negative. Is that true or is it that's, something that's actually that's different? No, it's absolutely true. And uh, I recently got married, so I can absolutely talk to the, uh, the, the, sort of the stress of getting married, the excitement of it, but also the anxiety around it all. Because even with positive things, there are associated emotions and these can be driven. But I think that the, the long term consequences are more associated with negative strengths, that those kind of acute situations, those acute emotions where, yes, it'd be the stress response can be triggered through something positive or something negative. But it's generally these negative stresses that will then build up into the difference between that short term acute um, stress response versus this more prolonged chronic um, negative stress response that will start to have these long term health consequences or increase the risk for these long term health consequences. That makes sense. Sophie, I'd like to ask you about um, prevalence. Uh, of, of stress in, in the workplace context, right, is, is really what we're focusing on typically, right, on this show and what we're we're talking about today. And I know Co works with employers to try to help them, you know, provide resources and technology tools to their employees. Um, it, it, and we all understand stress. I think on an individual level, we've all felt it. I'm perhaps feeling it right now, trying to spit this question out. But the um, How prevalent are you finding, say, in the modern workplace, is these conditions, these heightened stress levels, increased stress levels, is it it worse than it used to be? Is it pretty rampant in organizations? What are you finding as you you look at data or work with companies uh, in providing solutions to help them manage these uh, issues? It's it's hugely prevalent. I mean, there's been a couple of surveys in uh, recent years that show that approximately 75% of people, that's three in four people, 
will talk about that actually that their stress has overwhelmed them, that they feel no longer unable to cope at some point in the last year. And, you know, that's not something that's going to have a huge effect on the workplace if people feel that they can una- unable to cope, whether it's in life or whether it's in the workplace. Um that's going to lead to high levels of presenteeism. It's going to lead to high levels of burnout. It's going to lead to high levels of absence. And ultimately, for an organisation, if they don't address this, that people will leave that organisation and find something new. But I think there's loads of evidence as well that if people are supported in the workplace, that actually productivity goes up. If people feel happy at work, confident at work, able to cope with their jobs, then actually their performance will go up and... Um, you know, it's it's a win-win situation for everyone. To the second point about has there been a change, that one I'm less sure about in terms mm-hmm. of has there been a change, because it's always very difficult to actually prize apart, are people feeling more stress because there is more stress, or are people actually able to talk about it more? Are they more comfortable able to talk about it and actually recognise that the how they're feeling is a stress response? And I think that that's one thing that's been positive in the last few years is that people are more aware of it. People are more comfortable talking about it. We see it in the media, we're talking about it now, that people are more likely to recognise and empathise that actually that these are symptoms that I'm having and therefore suffering with stress. Along with that response, Sophie, do you find that there's any danger of what we're doing is over-normalising stress to where we feel like, well, we all have it. Why, you know, why, why are we so worried about it? Or is it truly that we are having more conversations about it and people are actually getting more assistance and more help? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, the normalization of it, I see, can only be a good thing. But the what's the normalization of it in terms of people being comfortable talking about it is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But as long as we're not then saying, well, actually, everyone is stressed and therefore just get on with it, because I think that's what's been happening for generations, that it's just, you know, the British show, it's the stiff upper lip, it's just kind of get on with it (laughs) and whatever. But we know that that's not helpful. We do know that actually seeking help early on will help people. So it's finding that nice balance and normalising it in terms of that it's okay to talk about and it's okay to seek help is a good thing normalizing it in terms of um well actually it's just part of the human condition is not necessarily a helpful thing because whilst it is naturally a part of the human condition it doesn't mean that we shouldn't offer help because we now know so much more about the physical and mental health consequences of stress so as we learn more about the using big data sets as we learn more about that relationship i think that the we see now that that you know while before stress was probably just considered something that was all in the mind that's not going to affect the physical health it didn't really matter um it's just how someone feels but as we've begun to understand now that link with physical health and seeing this huge you know this huge risk that increased risk for things like diabetes with cardiovascular illness and that these are you know huge problems both at the individual level but for an organization for a government for the healthcare systems that these are definitely things that we shouldn't Um, that we need to take seriously and uh, make sure that we're providing help. Yeah, I agree because I think you have so many times where people just don't feel well, right? But yeah, they're still expected to come into work. We still expect them to do a great job every single day, right? Without fail. And so I think that in the past, what might've been seen as a weakness 
telling your boss, your supervisor, oh, I'm having a, a difficult day today, I'm not feeling well, but yet you're still well enough to come to work. Um, my question along those lines is then, now that there are technology solutions that are able to help both identify the stressors and then help you move beyond just simple awareness into doing something positive about that. Have you seen that that has made a major difference in the way that people are showing up to work? I think it's still quite early for this um, um, for this field that I think that these take quite a long time to to produce the data and to actually start to match the kind of company metrics performance and thing. But what we do know is that feel people feel better for it. And we start to see that, you know, we did um, with, um, for example, we with um, co-foundations, which is uh, uh, um, self-care app, that there we saw, for example, we did a huge big study with um, healthcare workers at the height of the epidemic in the UK. And we saw there that there were positive effects on people's um, overall mental well-being, improved sleep, and therefore hope the down the line we don't have the data that this would improve things like presenteeism and absenteeism great but we do see that these are that you know that digital technology can improve how people feel and how they sleep Sophie, i think there's a couple things i wanted to make sure we touch upon before we we're, we're done today and one of the things that's really interesting to me when i think about the workplace specifically around this kind of a, a this topic of stress in the workplace there's kind of two things I'm thinking about. One is some of the tools, resources, and approaches and, and, and support systems that organizations can and often should make available to employees to help them manage stress and deal with mental health issues or manage all the other things that are happening in their life. We've, Chris and I have done a few shows around caregiving specifically recently and employees who have a lot of stress outside of the workplace because they're dealing with perhaps younger children and aging parents at the same time, right? And so we've talked about that a lot. So there's that side of it, right? The, what tools, resources, support can the employers offer em employees, right? Then the other side of it is looking at the organization itself to see, hey, are we really causing all this stress or a lot of it anyway, right? We're not causing employees to be caregivers necessarily, but over workload or inflexible organizations, uncertain schedules, uh, tyrannical management, you name it, right? There's all the things. So there's kind of two sides of it, right? Uh, are, let's talk about maybe the former first, because perhaps it's a little bit easier, um, uh, perhaps, right? Uh, if an organization is thinking about, hey, we've got situation here where we need to probably offer more resources to employees to help them better manage stress, better treat their own mental health, uh, what are some of the recommendations that you might make, especially for organizations really beginning this process? Yeah, I think that, the, the, as you said, that there are two big sides of this. One is around how do you support people who may be suffering from stress? And the second side is actually how do you turn the lens on yourself to actually yeah. make sure that the organization is not the cause of the stress, that it's the that we often need to think about mental health and wellness is beyond the individual and it's not all about the individual and what they can do to manage their stress that there is the huge part of actually looking um what an organization can do to change its culture to support an individual as well in terms of um what the first part of the question around well how can the organization help an individual i think some of the simple things are actually just checking in um uh -huh. you know conversations starting with how are you 
absolutely, you know, just the, the very, very simple kind of eight, the very basics on just checking in and noticing if people are struggling. In terms of the resources, it's around then matching that, that care. What do people need? Pointing in the right direction. Offering, you know, that, that yes, a lunchtime mindfulness lesson is great. And I know the companies do this. But it's around actually matching what people might like. Not everyone wants to do mindfulness. So offering a kind of range of services. So, for example, within Curve Foundations, we actually have sort of journaling, um, sleep tools, mindfulness, relaxation tools and recognition that different things will respond to people, different people, that people will have different needs and they'll have different preferences. So it's trying to offer this range of range of tools, but also then the ability to actually access um, more um, clinical level care as well. So therapist as well. And recognizing not everyone needs a therapist, not yeah. everyone needs self-help, and that can be this blended approach. It's about that matching. It's also around really, as you said, that that ensuring that that people's schedules are reasonable, that you know, if the stresses come from outside of the workplace, that actually there is the flexibility, the support, knowing a little bit what's going on, being able to have those open conversations, that people can feel that if they you know, that the source, if they said, need to look after their aging parent, need to attend the school's play, um, do whatever, that, that there is the, the flexibility within the work schedule that people can manage both the external stresses and the workplace stresses and look after themselves. And I think that that's a very important part of it as well. 80% of my employees, for example, I'm just throwing out a number, are exhibiting symptoms of stress or reporting feelings of stress, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I, I think I do need to try to look inside the organization, at least try to be a little introspective about, you know, what, what might we be able to do to, to, to change that or at yeah. least help it. Yeah. And then the first stage of that is to do an organizational assessment. And again, we have some tools that will help an organization take a look at itself and, and evaluate against a number of different measures to see how open that dialogue is around mental health because the there needs to be that culture i mean there was a study recently published that showed that um the reason women leave academia for example is due to a toxic workplace and it particularly affects women more than men but this idea of a toxic workplace where people are talking about each other where there's competition it's just not not helpful that this toxicity so the what we really need is a very healthy workplace where people have got um positive relationships um with colleagues with uh, managers um, that where there is any conflict that it is resolved in a positive fashion with no finger, uh, finger pointing need to look at workload have people got the right amount of workload because yes we all know that too much work can cause stress but also too little work can cause stress as well also is there the balance in the role between the job and the demands so that's looking at the job demands resource resource model so for example that the do people that have the the um the resources they need to do their job is their job over demanding and there is an absolute sweet spot on that 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 people have got you know, people want to be challenged they don't want to just um have no um no challenges at work but then have they got the resources available them to meet those demands um the other aspect is do they have the support it's again that that right balance of support from a line manager support from management that People don't want to be micromanaged, but they also need to know that their boss is available when needed. So, again, it's yeah. that right balance of autonomy and support. It's all of these areas that um, can be really optimized to actually make people feel happy, 
confident and skilled at work as well, that people need to feel that they are competent in their roles um, and therefore they have the skills and trainings to do their world, those, their roles. Um, the, I mean, work-life balance, um, this is a really important one. It's one that's bandied around, but it's really important that people do have the time they need to recover during the day, that there aren't back-to-back -back meetings with no breaks. I mean, it used to be that you'd be running from one meeting room to another one in post-COVID world, that it tends to be more hybrid, that it can just be one Zoom call after another, with barely even a bathroom break in between, that there is time, that there is protected lunch hour, that people can take that time to get away from their desk, take a walk, we know that exercise, fresh air is very good for managing stress, that people are finishing on time, that they're not dragging their workload into the evening, they are taking their annual leave. And I think really important that this has to start at the top as well, that the you know, the, the C-suite, the leadership need to show by example um, that they shouldn't be looking at Slack in the evening. They shouldn't be answering messages and emails in the evening, that the culture starts at the top and that leaders in any organisation really need to show by example what a healthy work-life balance looks like. And I think that almost gives permission then for the rest of the company to also respect other people's work-life balances and um, feel that they can take a break, feel that it's okay to say, no, I need my lunch hour, and just have that healthy attitude towards work and life. I love the way that you sort of package those all together, because as I was making notes about each one, I'm thinking just back to many workplaces I've worked in over my career, and we did not have the support we needed. We did not have workload balancing. We did not always have a happy culture or the skills we needed, or the protected time. I mean, I feel like, you know, we think of of technology as being the the sole solution to all of this. And, and you just gave so many examples of how even those incremental changes, right? I think we get a little bit immune to thinking like, oh, the culture I work in is just the culture I work in, or I don't have the tools I need, so I'm just gonna keep plodding along. Um, my question around all of this is, as you obviously work with, you know, a lot of different types of employers, are there certain industries, I won't call out certain employers, but are there certain industries I would think that maybe tend to have more stress and might need to be paying attention even more closely to some of these factors than others? Or is it pretty evenly distributed among industries? Um, that's a very good question. I'd say that that anywhere where there are, um, I think, sales environments can be more pressured because there are um, targets, very, very strict targets that have to be met. But I think anywhere that doesn't offer that kind of flexibility is very target driven, very motivated, won't, won't give a thing, can be higher risk levels. I think that there's also um, the where there are demographics that I think, for example, that men are far more likely, and I don't like to just use to, to sort of generalize too much along these domains, but um, that, you know, men are unlikely to help see. They, they like to just get on with it. They don't like to sort of recognize when actually they might be struggling. The women are more likely to to talk about that, that when they've got a problem, but then women are also more likely to have more um, challenges at home in terms of childcare, although I know that the world is absolutely changing and for the right direction there as well, but it's more around the that caregiving role of the work-life balance versus then also people more likely, who are more likely to seek help and talk about help and raise their hand 
when actually stress is becoming a problem. So I think it's industries where the culture may be a little bit more, um, I suppose, um, um, masculine and and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, I don't need any help, I've got this, can be the the kind of more challenging workplaces because people aren't getting the help they need when they need it or prepared to, to say, actually, I need some help here. Um, yeah, that makes but I think, sense. yeah, anything that's got very high targets and a lot of pressure to achieve those targets is going to be um, at a higher, higher risk. Yeah. One of the things I think that's really important about the work that you all are doing is, and I know these are obviously evolving sort of things, but as you're, you're speaking of all these opportunities here, making that mind and body connection, I'm thinking about, wouldn't it be great if we get to a place where you can actually be sort of um, mindfully preventing some of these stressors. So even when I think about a career in human resources, no one ever talked to me before taking that job about this is a really stressful job. And the, the higher you get promoted, you're dealing with really sensitive uh, situations that are quite stressful over time. That's actually why I left being an HR practitioner, right? After you, you make it to sort of those top levels. And I'm wondering too, I think you know, dangerous jobs, right? Where there's an element of danger in the jobs or even, um, you know, if you work in an organization that's like constantly doing, I don't know, maybe mergers and acquisitions, for example, right? So you're just going from sort of one super highly stressful situation right into the next one or even healthcare, right? I worked in the healthcare system for a while in a children's hospital and we found that our floor cleaners, right? The people that would go in and clean the floors in the, in the rooms were just as stressed as the nurses and doctors that were caring for these sick children, because the people that are cleaning the floor housekeepers are seeing these same children every single day. So I guess all of that being said is that I think that the sort of the tools and the resources that you all are creating and expanding on to me seem to have such a um, preventative way to deal with some of these known uh, stressful situations that aren't very easy to remedy in other ways. Are you seeing any customers coming to you kind of in that mindset yet, or is that still maybe more future thinking? So I think, you know, prevention is really, really important. And um, that, you know, that, that, we go back 50 years, people didn't really think about prevention and physical health. Now we just talk about prevention and physical health, that we we do everything for preventative approaches, for diabetes, for cancer, for everything. And the dialogue is just starting to move that way for mental health as well. We're, we're probably about 50 years behind in terms of recognising that it is possible to prevent a lot of mental health problems. Um, and this is by making people aware, helping them, helping them understand and giving the tools. But your point about, well, actually, how can we then help an organization? A lot of this, I think, can come some of the challenges you described. A lot of this comes through to manager training that actually making people the management, whether it's the kind of individual line management or organizational management, that they are aware of what the risk factors in a workplace might be you know as you said whether it's for someone who is exposed to a sick child every day or whether it's whatever environment that they are aware that they're the environment that their employees are working has specific unique risk factors and identifying what those are supporting them 
But even in the office, that manager training is, is a really important. We provide some um, manager training tools just for this reason that, that again, that, um, that you know, that, that you, we're not trained um, generally when we become managers. We're not trained. I don't remember anywhere during my career people explaining to me actually how to spot if someone in my team is struggling um or to just spot whether or not actually within an organization that the dynamics are causing problems or even that my the you know I've worked in different places again that these might create specific risk factors it's just not being part of the dialogue part of the training um we don't expect managers to become therapists what we do want them to do is recognize if someone around them is struggling think about well actually is there anything I can do at an individual level to 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 help this to help the individual whether it's flexible working hours those conversations but just to actually recognize and know how to help them um because everyone's an individual but you know how do you how do you talk to someone how do you recognize if they might be struggling and just that we give managers the tools to be able to have these conversations and to rest some rest um to um recognize some signs um, and also know where to signpost people to as well. So we can say to them, well, you know, we don't want to manage to become the therapist, but also that they do need to be able to say, well, you know, here you might be able to get some help, but also look to see whether or not the work environment is perhaps the cause of some of the problems as well. But right. I think it's really, really important that that we develop the vocabulary, we develop that awareness, and that should be actually just built into leadership development around that we're not just talking about the kind of skills people need to do the, the need for the job but actually that kind of more emotional intelligence that more ability to recognize and support people who might be struggling yeah so that is super interesting and i i'm going to think about that for a little while because we have talked so much in the last year couple of years in the hr space more broadly about skills right we've been we've been counting skills to death about finding skills, developing skills, identifying skills, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think I've heard anyone sort of add to that skills conversation the way you just did in talking about kind of emotional intelligence, emotional preparedness, and maybe creating an environment where folks can actually leverage the skills that they have, those practical skills or technical skills, or whatever those skills may be. That's a really interesting um, way to frame that conversation. When I think, well, George, I'm making a note of this. It's something I want to think about as we sort of roll into 2024 and we continue these conversations uh, on this show and other places as well. Um, this has been super fascinating uh, conversation uh, for me. Uh, I, I I feel like, I mean, not kidding. We have a church, we have a small little business here and we have our own forms of stress. I feel it quite often, I'd say. And I, I, I just talking about it and acknowledging it. And even if when we have our meetings and we talk about it, or we talk about it in public forums, like here with, with Sophie and talking about what Coa Health does, I think it's just, it's important to further the dialogue and, and make normalize the conversations, make organizations more uh, aware of the uh, resources that they have available, partners that they can work with to support their employees. I think uh, to me, it's it's among the most important conversations we have around the world of work. I agree. I think too, being able to realize that you're not alone um, and you're not immune if you're a manager. Sometimes, you know, I remember being a more junior in my career, thinking that the people who were at the manager, senior manager, partner level of whatever organization, that they have no problems, right? They've been promoted. They're making all this money. Well, you, you can't even see. So if you're more junior in your career, please 
open up uh, to your leaders. Um, I hope that you're in a way that in, in a place where you feel comfortable doing that. If not, find someone who you can talk to um, in the organization that can put you in the right direction. And often maybe that's human resources as a starting point. And I think too, if you're a manager, um, it's okay. We, you know, so if you made the point, we're not all trained how to do all of these elements of perfect leadership, right? And we're all at different levels of capability when it comes to being more emotionally in tune or more empathetic or whatnot. So I think we're just needing to be appreciative that we are all on a journey. And I think talking about it and, and making that extremely normal um, is what's really the difference from maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, where it wasn't discussed. So I am, I'm grateful that we have you, Sophie, and Coa Health, because I think that not only are you, you know, making sure there is conversation and solutions now being built around it, but you're also um, much further along in terms of educating and thinking about the actual impacts that these things can have, which I'm really grateful that you're doing this exciting work. So thank you for that. No, thank you. Very much enjoyed it. And I think it's been really nice to think about the, you know, what an organization can do to help the employees, but also what an individual can do as well. And it's that trying to find that balance of support that not everything is on the individual. We need to think about the organizational culture and yeah. environment there. Could you take a moment before we before we sign off for the day? Could you take a moment and just talk a little bit about some of the solutions. I know you mentioned the COA foundations and how that works a little bit, but just maybe just high level um, for people, if you're listening to this and getting a little more interested in maybe how COA can partner with you on some of these things, what kind of things will they find? Yeah, so we have this, um, an integrated approach to um, mental health so that the within an organization that it's available to employees that they can start off by taking an assessment to see um, evaluate where how they're thinking and how they're feeling and then actually match whether or not whether or not they need some additional help as well but we offer care foundations as part of our co care 360 platform and co care um, foundations is a tool that empowers people to manage their own mental well-being so something that can be there at any time that can help them in the journey provide these kind of pathways to support whether a Whatever, you know, someone is struggling with, whether it's their mood, whether feeling low, um, anxious feelings, um, that there is something there and there are different techniques that can help someone. But for some people that actually self-help might not be sufficient. So there we the that everything is evaluate, um, evaluated by a therapist so that for people that actually need some additional help, they can have access to a licensed therapist um, for people who are affected more profoundly by stress, um, anxiety, or depression. We also have digital technology um, therapists led for symptoms of depression as well. We also offer um, support to an organization for that evaluation um, that people can, that's an organization to actually look at their culture, some tools, webinars, psychoeducation, uh, the organization session um, assessment, manager training. So we try to offer the, the whole sort of 360 support that finding that both not just what one organization needs, but also what an individual needs and try to match that, the, the sort of needs with the um, with the tools that we offer. 
but it's mainly around empowering people to manage mental health. Yeah. Sophie, thank you for that uh, summarization. And uh, I, it's, it's really just a summarization. I would encourage everybody to go out to coahealth.com. We'll put the link in the show notes as well, where you can learn more about these solutions as well as access all the resources uh, Co has published uh, on these topics and more. And uh, Sophie, I just want to say uh, thank you again. Thanks for taking the time. And we really appreciate the conversation today. It's great meeting you. Great meeting you too. Thank you very much. All right. Great stuff, Trish. I loved it. Great way to end our week, right? Great resources, great stuff to think about. And uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of opportunity for organizations to uh, make the world of work better, right? And that's what this, uh, largely what we're trying to do here on the show. I agree. I'm always pleasantly surprised on, on recordings like this. So obviously, you know, we've we've all been in the industry for a very long time. And it's just refreshing when I walk away thinking like, wow, those are five or six things I hadn't thought of in that way. So, Sophie, yeah. I appreciate that you actually did make me think very differently about some of these, um, you know, ways that we approach work and uh, and hopefully our audience thought so as well. Thank you. All right. Great stuff. All right, Trish, uh, that's it for the show today. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks, of course, once again to Sophie Dix from Coa Health. And uh, Trish, thank you. Uh, all the show archives, hrhappyhour.net. Uh, thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour show. We'll see you next time. And bye for now.